Well, um, Pastor asked me if I would fill in tonight, and uh, after the teaching on preachers and deacons and all of that, and the need to be apt to teach, I felt I would apt teach tonight. So, uh, go a little different direction. I, I, I love to preach. You folks know that, that have been around here anytime at all. I get excited about it, but sometimes uh, the times around us and the culture we're in call for something different and maybe not something as exciting or as emotional uplifting, but uh, something that just kind of defines where we're at in today's uh, generation, if you will. So uh, if you wouldn't, just a little bit about me, why as you turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, for my class, I apologize. Um, you're going to get this again in a couple of months. But uh, most of you know that I, I, I work for the U.S. Air Force. Currently, right now, uh, uh, they, they are the ones who have hired me, but my salary is paid by the state of Israel and uh, the nation of Singapore. I want you to know before we get started tonight that my prior career, I did the same thing for other countries that I do for Israel today and support them in their, actually their war effort. I worked for Oman. I worked for Bahrain. I worked for Saudi Arabia. I worked for the United Arab Emirates. I worked for Turkey. Did I say Saudi Arabia? I did. Uh, I think that's, I think that's about it. I think there were seven. I think I'm leaving one of them out. So I want you to understand, and then I've also worked for Japan. I've also worked for Korea. They just put me everywhere. And, uh, uh, and, and I, I want to be honest with you tonight, because full disclosure is going to be needed by the time we get done. <laughs> and you're wondering, oh my goodness, what's fixing to go on? But uh, uh, I'm back on Israel at their request. And so um, I just want to leave you with that tonight. As we turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, we read there, this is uh, the second epistle, the second letter of Peter. Uh, this is the third, this is a, uh, uh, in the middle of his book or of his letter. This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles and of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, knowing this first, he's, he's wanting to set a mindset here. See, he's, he's directing his listeners here as, he, as he's teaching them. He's getting them on the right page. He's getting them on the same page as him. He says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, People making fun of people talking about the last comings where we're going to go here. Uh, there will be uh, there will come in the last days scoffers walking after, or in other words, uh, their sole single motivation, uh, walking after their own lust, that their own lust or their motivation, what they want. Uh, the perfect, I think, the absolute perfect uh, picture of this right now is the uh, transfer portal. In NCAA football, it's all about who? Me. It's all about I. We don't have the word team anymore. It's what I can go out there and I can get for me. Can we relate to that? All right. So 
moving on, um, walking after their own lust. And then in verse 4, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, the prophets, those in the Old Testament, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, Lord, once again, I come before you, Lord, and ask you to just bless this time, Lord, as we dive into your word, Lord. And man, we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight, Lord. I just pray that you bless uh, everything that we do in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So right here, my intent tonight uh, is, is seen there in verse 1. Number 1, stir up your pure minds. To stir, uh, to wake up as a metaphor to arouse, to re render active from sleep. That's what stir means. I'm getting you, I'm stirring you, I'm pushing you around. I want you to wake up. I want you to see something. I've got something for you. We've got something to do tonight. That's what the, uh, the stirring up the pure mind is. Pure minds is an adjective describing what type of mind Peter and I attempt to render active tonight. There's a portion of your mind I want you to really think about. I want, to, I want to stir it up. I want to get it going. I want you not to just listen to me, but he wants to stir up your mind and call you to remembrance. Stir your mind. Get you to thinking, not just listening to Brother Randy tonight, but stir your mind up and you think and, and you draw some conclusions about what is said tonight in, in the service. And then uh, the words here that we see in verse 2. Now I want to be, I want to hit this home because if, we, if you lose me here, then you're, we're lost all night long. Okay? In verse 2, what does it say? That you may be mindful of words, but I want to, I want us to, to draw down particular uh, which words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of, uh, of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So where do these words of the prophets and where do these words of the, uh, the apostles come from? Where, where's the source of those words? Come on, now just, this is the proactive class. Come on. The Holy Spirit, that's, that's true. But where, does, where is the source uh, that we have before us tonight? All right. Better said, the Scriptures. That's a biblical word. Uh, it's first used by Jesus Christ Himself in Matthew. And so, Scriptures, uh, uh, in the New it's a New Testament word first used in Matthew 21. And so... That's where we're gonna. That's gonna. That's my intent tonight is to stir your minds a little bit, and not just to necessarily listen and take what I have to say, but to also uh, draw some conclusions yourself. So I've got to ask myself right here, number two, where do we start at? Well, it needs to be something that relates to the current uh, time that we live in. As, I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be applicable to us where the rubber meets the road for us today, and so. With that being said, and I think you would agree with that, let's start at the big inning or the beginning and see what we discover. Or for some of us uh, that have heard this before, probably from me, uh, may bring back it to remembrance. So let's, let's begin in Genesis 1-1. Resheth Elohim. First words in the Bible, in the Hebrew, Resheth Elohim. What does it mean? In the beginning, God. 
Great starting point. That's where we need to begin every time we open the book. From the beginning to the end. God. That's, what, that's who we're searching out here. We want to see the principles that he's laid forth here. And we want to see exactly in history, because remember, nothing takes God by surprise. He knew right here where we were going to be at tonight. The situation we were going to be in as born-again believers, the world that we have to live in, the the culture that we have to survive in now, and it's becoming more of a, a survival tactic than a living tactic. God knew. Now turn with me. We're going to run real fast to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we've gotten past all of creation. We've got past all the begats. Uh, which I'm sure you're glad that we didn't go through each one of those because we're going to cover probably nine chapters tonight, right now. And I'm just telling you, you buckle up because we're going to go. I'm fixing to start moving in just a minute. I know I talk slow, but I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to I'm I'm improve on that. Genesis 12, verse 1, talking to uh, Abraham, or Abram here, excuse me, and I will make thee a great nation. Now what's implied here to Abraham? If I'm going to make him a great nation, what am I implying? I'm implying that somewhere through his offspring, right, that there's going to be a great nation created here upon the earth. It's going to have a bunch of people in it. It's going to be a nation set to itself. When we think about nation, we think about America, but there are different sized nations. But uh, there's going to be a bunch of people involved. It's going to come from his offspring. And then he says, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So we see this promise here to Abram, this guy out in the land of Ur. And he's going to tell him to leave Ur. And if you know where Kuwait is at, go straight north, about 100, I think, 40 miles. That's where Ur was. They've done some excavations there. There's some cool reading about that. Uh, But that's where he's going to depart out of. And so now I want us to fast forward uh, in in Abram's life to chapter 13 in verse 1. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. So he's on the move. Where's he at? Where's he, where, where, he's on the move, but where's he leaving out of here? This is important. You can't, you're not going to get the rest of the night if you don't get this right here. Abram is in Egypt. Okay? He's in Egypt. The Egypt... The Egyptians exist right now, okay? He's in Egypt. He's, he's there. He's, he's hanging out. He's probably making some money. He's probably doing whatever he did, but he's in Egypt. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and somebody went with him, this guy named Lot. And Lot is Abram's nephew. Man, I got a good class tonight. Yeah, all right. Uh, but he's, he's got his, his brother's son with him. He's got his nephew Lot with him, uh, and they went into the south. Now, uh, also in chapter 13, Abraham and Lot, they split ways. Their, 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 their camps became too big to dwell together. And then also, we get to chapter 14, and we have the war of the kings in the land in Genesis chapter 14. Then in Genesis 15... Even though his wife was barren, Sarai, which is Abraham's wife, we learn right here that his wife is barren, 
But God still promises him a son. And then uh, later on in chapter 15, God uh, reveals to uh, Abram the 400 years that is going to be spent in Egypt as the, uh, these, this people, this nation that's going to come from him is going to be in bondage and enslaved in Egypt. And then he reveals in chapter 15 that uh, the, the property, that, 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 that the seed of Abraham should go inhabit. Key word, should, should. And it was from the, uh, the, uh, the, the river of Egypt, which is the Nile. Yeah, 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 heard that over here. All the way over to the river Euphrates. Absolutely, absolutely. Man, I'm not teaching anything. I'm learning tonight. Here we go. And so we fast forward past 15 and we get into 16 and verse 1. And let's look there in chapter 16 and verse 1 of Genesis. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, Bear him no children. We already learned she was barren, but still the same case in chapter 16 and verse 1. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that she was a, I uh, hope I say this right, a pair. She was an au pair. As somebody that uh, 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 brings in, a, uh, uh, it is the foreign national that a family, usually a well-to-do family, brings in to help uh, uh, take care of their children but also be influenced by their type of lifestyle uh, that they live. Usually somebody sees a family and they're impressed by them, and they say, hey, why don't you take my teenage daughter and allow her to live with you, sort of like an exchange student, and let her learn from you and, and just learn your ways? Because I think the Egyptians, the, the, the thought here uh, in um, Jewish tradition is, is that the Egyptian... Uh, Someone high up in the Egyptian government was impressed with Abraham, the way he lived his life, his God, and, and so they sent their child with them. And that's, that's this, this, this young lady named Hagar. But uh, uh, at this point right here, reading in verse 16, verse 1, if you've read ahead any, right here you should be hollering at this point saying, No, Sarah, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, because the world is going to change right here. The world is fixing to change. It's fixing to be turned upside down. Let's go on reading in verse 2. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, from having a child. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I obtain children by her. This is a complete departure from God's timeline, is what Sarah is doing here. But next, we should be screaming at Abraham, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. But then it goes on and reads, and Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, number three, and this is where it begins to get really interesting. 16 and verse 4, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, look at this, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarai was looking down her nose. Pardon me. Hagar was looking down her nose at, at Sarai because Hagar's 
got God's child in her womb, to her mindset, and she's got something that Sarai can't have. And so at that point, Hagar's looking down her nose at Sarah because she was having what Sarai had been designed by God. And Sarai responds in the second part of verse 6 after a conversation with Abraham where Abraham uh, turns Sarai loose on, on Hagar for the way she's acting. And in 6b, uh, uh, and when Sarai dealt hardly with her, dealt hardly with Hagar, the Egyptian uh, young lady, she fled from uh, the face of, of Sarai. And so we see that here. But then a really important thing here happens. And so often in t being taught about this story, there's so many of these things that are, that are overlooked, and this is one of those points. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. There's a relationship here that's passed over, that's usually just read over when we're reading through this passage of Scripture. But there's an actual visitation by a messenger of God to Hagar and to deliver uh, a certain uh, amount of information that's, that's very important. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur, and he said, the angel said, Hagar, Sarai, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou? Where'd you come from? What's up? What are you doing? And whither wilt thou go? Where are you headed? Let me know what your plan is. And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress. Didn't need to know no details. I'm coming here. I have God's plan in my mind. I'm coming here to deliver it to you, and I'm just going to tell you what to do. And, she, and the angel of the Lord uh, said unto her, Return unto thy mistress, and do what? Submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed. Now look at this. This is a message from God to Hagar. I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. That's sort of the same promise that uh, 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 Abram got from God as well. Hagar is getting the same, the same promise. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child and shall bear a son. Oh, there's another blessing. And shout... Call his name Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? Anybody? God hears. God will hear. God will hear. Another little bitty insight to this. This is a this is a uh, a Jewish name. Because if you read on, you'll find that there's five other Israelites in God's word with the same name. So that's another blessing to Hagar. Shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And that's the reason for his namesake. And then in verse 12, and he will be, underline this. This is important to world history today. 
he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So let's deal with the first one, the wild man. Wild uh, is in the sense of a wild animal. This is, this is going to be the, uh, the personality of, of the offspring and, and of Ishmael himself. Going to be a wild man. Can you tame a wild animal after it's mature? No. Can you really contain a wild animal after he's reached maturity? No. And can you reason with a wild animal after he's reached maturity? No, you cannot. And we all notice that within our, our, our gene pool, if you will, our family gene pool, if you will, each one of our offspring do what? They take certain things from us that become evident in them when they become adults, like, there's things I do now that my dad did, and I say, oh, poor Robin. You know, I know it, I see it, but I can't help it. And if we'll all be honest, each one of us, we see those in our children, uh, we see those in ourselves that came from our parents or maybe even our grandparents, and those things hang on, those things hang on for generations. As we've all witnessed what happened on October 7th over in Israel, we saw a pack of wild animals come out of the Gaza Strip and do things that are completely unmentionable. Completely unmentionable. It's finally taken holt, holt in the news what they've done to the women over there. And... They say, well, you know, they tried to deny it at first, but now it's out there. The women's groups are finally catching hold and, and speaking out about it. But you know what? Prior to Desert Storm, when we went into Kuwait, the Iraqis did the same thing when they went into Kuwait. That's just, that's just the way they're built. It's built into them, and it's built into the Arabic culture. And when I say that, I mean the culture that is, uh, it's the spirit of that in, over there in that side of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I made relationships. I have a gentleman that calls me every year at Christmas that I de developed a relationship with over in Saudi Arabia. Wonderful gentleman. Wonderful gentleman. Like a grandfather, actually. But... Love the guy to death. And, and quite honestly, his relationship to me is, is he acts like he loves me to death. But and there, it's, it's not every Arab that has this within him or that allows it to come out. It's probably in each and every one of us, really, if, we're, if we were to be honest. But the spirit of those that live over in the Gaza area... Uh, the spirit of those that live in certain sects of the uh, uh, Arab religions, uh, all the way down to the sun worship and the moon worship that goes on over there. And what do you see on the top of every every mosque? What do you see? Half uh, well, a crescent moon, a crescent moon, and it deals back with their religion as being moon worshippers. But I think we've dealt enough here with that. Uh, this this character quality that he's going to be a wild man but it says in his hand will be against every man since 
we have a pretty large generation gap in here from uh, uh, Brother Tom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume is, is the most mature gentleman in the audience, okay, down to uh, Seth. <laughs> uh, you know, but throughout our lifetime, we have seen it through our complete life. Uh, and even in the, uh, uh, from the birth of this nation, the Barbary pi Pirates, we've all read about those, we've heard about those. We know about the pirates that are going on over there in Africa. It stems, all stems from the same thing. They're Muslim, uh, Arab, religion type people that, 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 that uh, they're, they're always against every man. They can't get along. And then it uh, speaks here, uh, they'll be against, uh, we'll all be against them. Once again, trying to tame a wild animal, trying to tame somebody that won't deal honestly uh, with, with, with other nations. Let me put it that way. They won't deal honestly with other nations. There's, we see it today. And then dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And just to uh, kind of, this, this, what this is saying here, dwell in the presence of all his brethren, dwell in the face of all of his brethren. Brother, when two men get excited about uh, going to fisticuffs with each other, what do they do? They get right up nose to nose, face to face with each other, and then just start yakking and yakking and yakking. That's what it's talking about right here. There's never going to be a, a sense of peace between uh, all the different uh, tribes that are going to come out of this union between uh, Abram and Hagar and the nations that they are going to uh, uh, come forth from this. And then verse 16, if you'll drop on down there, uh, we, we're, we're given the insight to, to Abraham or Abram's age. And Abram was fourscore and six. And anybody want to guess at that? Fourscore and six? 86 years old. And uh, I had to ask you that because I don't do public math. Uh, when Hagar, he was 86 years old when Ishmael was born to Abraham. And so now... My next point, uh, whew, um, point number four today is set in motion and was set in motion 3,934 years ago approximately. Skip down to chapter 17 and verse 1. And Abraham was 90 years old and 9. So Abraham is now, how old is Ishmael? 13, oh, public mass, somebody's good at it. There we go. Now, so Abraham's 99, Ishmael's 13 years old. He's a teenager now. Uh, a lot of times when we get through some of these scriptures, we think that Ishmael's still a young child, but no, he's not. He's 13. And then in, uh, in chapter 2 and verses 2 through 22 of chapter 17, God reminds Abraham that he is the almighty God, that God is the almighty God. He commands Abraham to be perfect or be fully matured in, in, in his uh, uh, belief. He reminds him that he will make him a great nation and multiply his seed greatly and changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. He tells him that, Abraham, you will sire kings, and he establishes an everlasting covenant. Everlasting. What does that mean? From this point, on 
establish an everlasting covenant. That's in verse 7 of chapter 17. Uh, and with that covenant comes the land of Canaan from the Nile to the Euphrates uh, and land of Canaan for an, uh, uh, an everlasting possession. Okay? That property is theirs for as long as they are a people, as long as the covenant exists, the right to that property exists. And that he will be their God. Circumcision is established as an everlasting covenant for everyone in Abraham's house at that day. And then all babies at eight days old, they will be circumcised. And God says that he will bless Sarai with a son to be named Isaac, then changes her name to Sarah. Abraham at this point laughs and begs God to accept Ishmael to be the heir. God refused, and he left. Abraham at 99, Ishmael at 13, and the remainder of his house are all circumcised that same day. I want us to see here the immediate obedience, no matter the pain or this, the discomfort. Then that moves us on to chapter 18. God visits Abraham with three others. They have lunch, and in the conversation is mentioned that it's time for Sarah, Sarah to get pregnant. What does she do? She laughs. Um, this is where we kind of need to sing, God can do anything, 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 no matter what comes up in our life or no matter what we think we've been promised that we haven't received yet, those blessings that we haven't received yet. <clears throat> Then Sarah covered her laugh with a lie. Then plans are made and negotiated uh, uh, with God on if Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed uh, between Abraham, God, and, and the visitors. Chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. Lot's wife is turned into a pillar of salt. Lot's two daughters think the whole world's population has been destroyed and they need to take it upon themselves to repopulate the earth. They get their father drunk and sleep with him, get pregnant, and the birth of two enemy nations uh, of Israel, the Moabites and the Amorites, uh, come into being. Chapter uh, Genesis chapter 20, we're going to skip. Uh, you can read that one at your leisure uh, because when I get to heaven, I want to uh, uh, ask God why he sandwiched this particular chapter in between 19 and 21 because it's not chronologically correct. And uh, it's flowing pretty good up to this point, and then I'm just kind of, wow, what are we doing here? It's just kind of out of place, and I haven't quite figured that one out yet. I'll let you know when I do, but read it at your pleasure. Not now. Read it later, okay? And then we get, it brings us to chapter 21. Verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he said, or as he promised, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Verse number two, what happened? For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time. Underline at the set time in your Bible, if you, if you write in your Bible. This was God's time. This was God's plan all along to show himself mighty in Sarah and Abraham's life and the life of an, an entire nation that would last from then to the eons of time. 
God's timing always works. But Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of the son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac, which means he laughs. He laughs. In verse 5, And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And so that makes Sarah... Ninety-one. And the child grew and was weaned. We got to talk about this word weaned right here. We got to go back and 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 once again consulting Jewish tradition. When I see weaned, it's when I take a puppy off of its mother and putting it on solid food. Right? Agreed. Not the same here. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, what they're talking about here is when that. That, that child is ready to be set on his own path for which God has created for him. So probably a little bit older than what we're thinking that he is right here. Um, it's, 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 it's just not our mindset. When we see weaned, we see, we see it's, it's time for him to, to go on to solid food. This is the time for him to be set on the path that God has set for him, for Isaac. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day Isaac was weaned. And so notice the scene here. Picture it in your mind. All the friends have been invited over. Neighbors are over there. Man, they killed the fatted calf. They've got all kinds of stuff to eat and drink and, and to have fun. And this is going to go on for probably a solid week. Okay? Celebrating it. Man, Isaac's on his road to follow the Lord, to, to do what God has for him, to enter into whatever profession he's going to enter in. But mainly, his path is set to follow the Lord and do what God wants him to do in his life and follow this path of building this great nation that God has promised him. He's ready to go. Man, we're celebrating. We're wanting this to be a big day in his life, and we're wanting to make this public. We want everybody to be able to remind him of it. We want everybody to be able to talk about it and, and converse about it with him and with their neighbors because something great's happening this day because of where this child is at. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. So we got Ishmael, much older teenager, 13 years older at least. And it says mocking. But a little bit of study and once again Jewish tradition, what they believe was happening here is that Ishmael was sharing something like a, uh, let's just put it like this, a dirty joke, something vulgar, something obscene that she was sharing with um, um, Isaac and affecting where he was going to be going in the rest of his life. You know, let's just use pornography since it's so prevalent in our society and in our culture today. You know, one look. That's all it takes. And there's a draw there, especially for a man. There's a draw there that, that's hard to quench. It's hard to quench. And that's what Sarah's fear is here, is that this kid, that Hagar's son, is trying to ruin the path of my son. 
and she's not going to have anything to do with it. Wherefore she, Sarah, said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son, this bondwoman, shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Not only because of his son, but because Abraham loved Ishmael. He never mistreated Ishmael. He was never mistreated by Abraham. Abraham loved Ishmael, and it, this, this grieved him at his heart. But God said in verse 12, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, listen to your wife, Abraham's what's God saying here. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman, I will make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she separated and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. She's on her own with a child. Single mother. No job. No food. Running out of water. Verse 15. And the water was spent in the bottle. And she, watch this. Watch this. I have, I have seen this over and over. And she went and sat down over, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against and lift up her voice and wept. Now, before you move on, don't read on in chapter 17 because I want to deal with this uh, a bow shot away. Look down in verse 20 right quick. And God said, And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, and he became an archer. Now look at the, these, these two statements here. Number one, a bow shot away from him. Okay? He became an archer. She set him down a, a bow shot away. The mention of a weapon. Um, the, he's an archer. He's good with a bow and arrow. He's, it, it's a weapon. Now, I've used this analogy before, but a lot of you in here won't remember Yasser Arafat, the head of the PLO. A few of us gray heads in here, or blue heads, whatever you want to call us, we remember, we remember Yasser Arafat. He was the leader of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Little short guy, always scaring around and jumping around. He's always starting trouble throwing fire uh, gas on any fire he could throw it on. But he had an opportunity as the leader of what we now know as Gaza. He was scheduled to give a speech to the Security Council in New York to the United Nations. He was adamant about wearing his gun to give that speech to the Security Council at the UN. Now, when it was all over, said and done, when you saw him up at that stage, when you saw him up at that lectern, he did not have his gun, but he still had his holster. He refused to relinquish that holster. What drives a man like that? Let me tell you, I want to tell you, it goes back to right here. Arab nations, when they have a wedding or they have a celebration and they show it on the news, what do you see? 
bam, 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 shooting them gums up in the air. Not even worrying about where them bullets are coming down at. If it's going up, it's coming down. It didn't, I didn't take Newton to tell me that. Okay? It's coming down. I'm going to trip over these things before this night is over. But um, they're, they're, they've always been associated with their weapons and their creations of weapons throughout world history. And, uh, uh, and today, it's still, we still see it today. But as we get past that, um, verse, let's go back up to verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard thy voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. And God was with the lad. Don't don't skip over that. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. Now, if you read on in Genesis, when Abraham dies, there's a scene at his uh, burial. Now, when you're reading through Scripture, especially Old Testament Scripture, first mention is very important. Those of you that took discipleship understand first mention is very important. All through this, Isaac's kind of been the four, uh, Ishmael's kind of been the forerunner of the first mention because he was the firstborn. Firstborn usually has a birthright, but at the death of Abraham, Isaac is mentioned first. And what that gives us is a sense that that Ishmael had backed off. He recognized his younger brother uh, for what it was and for what God had planned for him. But in today, in what we see, you say, Randy, how in the world um, today, 3,900 uh, was set in motion 3,934 years ago, October 7th, and it's never going to end. What kind of got me stirring this way is I get the question a lot. All the people at work know I go to church. They know I teach a Sunday school class to sometimes young adults, sometimes not. Uh, inside joke. Um, but they say, why is, why is this always going on? Why is this always going on? My statement is, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? It's, it's right here. I can show it to you. I can show you where the battle begun, and the battle will not be ended until at the end of the tribulation period, this particular one. The, the, the Middle East is always going to be what it is. Now, we only get one blooming of the olive tree. Israel's not going to be taken back into captivity, spread out, and then come to being again in our future. We're in those last days. Turn with me, if you will, back to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'll be done. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 3, 
knowing this first, understand in the last days there shall come scoffers. There shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Man, our culture is just filled with our own lust today. That's all it's filled with. Me, 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 I, I, I. I was discussing with my one of my coworkers today. When I first went to work out at Tinker, my supervisor wrote my appraisal. He filled out everything that uh, he felt that I did for him over the past year, and any cash awards or anything that were handed out were handed out according to what he thought or how well he thought that I did. Today, we fill out our own bullets and our own, and we have to put in there, I, 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 I did this, I did that, I'm the greatest man, there ain't nobody in this office as good as me, he can't do this as good as me, she can't do this as good as me, I'm it. And that's what we've turned into. I mentioned the uh, NCAA uh, football portal, the, the transfer portal. It's all about me. And that's the world we've grown up in. Verse 4, in saying, where is the promise of his coming? I come back around to those words that I started with. The promise of his coming is right where it's always been. It's within his word, and it's what's given to us through the Spirit as we read his word. Given a date, absolutely not. But I have drawn you a picture tonight of exactly why what's happening in the Middle East happens. And it will continue to happen. They may level Gaza all the way to the ground. It's not going to fix the situation. So for you tonight, I just wanted to highlight these things. Why? Because we use this all the time. But we need to develop a sense that we have confidence in it because we see its truths in our current day and in our current culture. All the bad things we see, we shouldn't be surprised. Is it 2 Timothy 3 or 1 Timothy 3 where it talks about all the things that will be in the last days? It's one of them. Go home and find it for yourself. But it's coming. It's coming. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? You know, I don't proclaim to be 100% ready. I think that if I was the Lord was to come in here tonight, Randy, I'm going to judge you here in front of all your brethren here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. There, I'd feel some heat come up pretty quick on my ears. I'd feel I'd still working his way around my cheeks as I become trying to think, oh man, what am I going to be embarrassed about in here? But you know what? I don't think I stand in here or sit in here alone. There's all things that we can do better. There's things that we can strive to do better. And we know, we know that we know we have the truth. I give you empirical evidence that would work in court tonight. Let's bow our heads.